welcome to Rethink, a podcast from Skilled Nursing News. I'm Maggie Flynn, your host, and today I'm joined by Angela Perry, the administrator of the Vernon Manor Nursing Home, to talk about vaccines. COVID-19 immunizations and long-term care have been rolling out since late December. I spoke to Angela to get a sense of how vaccinations went in her facility under the Federal Pharmacy Partnership for Long-Term Care Program and what's going to come next after the federal push to vaccinate in long-term care comes to a close. I am joined by Angela Perry, the administrator at Vernon Manor in Connecticut. Angela, thank you so much for joining me on Rethink today. Maggie, thank you for having me. I'm I'm really excited to share Vernon Manor's experience with the vaccination implementation process. And it's something that has been in a lot of people's minds. And I know at least the wider vaccine rollout to the public, I've seen different different takes on how well that has gone. But I, in speaking with different operators in the long-term care space, most of the time I get the impression that it's gone, you know, fairly well. So what has been Vernon Manor's experience with the federal process of getting vaccinated for residents and staff? And, you know, even if you want to go back to like before that first clinic, like when the emergency use authorizations came out, you know, what did that kick off and what did that process look like for you guys? Myself and the clinical team at Vernon, we really started focusing our effort. I want to say back in September, we were preparing for our point prevalence survey for our influenza vaccination and really wanted to have a robust compliance rate with that amongst residents and staff. And we did exceptionally well. We had a 99% conversion rate for our, our flu vaccine clinic. So right after that, we really started digging deep into our COVID vaccination efforts we realized there was going to be a lot of hesitancy. Obviously, it's a newer vaccine. There were a lot of concerns among staff regarding the time that it's taken to create the vaccine. There's a lot of religious and other personal uh, issues that we really had to work through with the staff in conjunction with our medical providers and learning more research, factual research that was um, being put out via the CDC, our local state departments, and so forth. So we had to have regular meetings on how we were going to execute our plan towards the end of September after our influenza clinic. So uh, some of our efforts included daily staff huddles. We Mm -hmm. maintained our staff and family town hall meetings. We're actually on week 48 of our town hall meetings going back to March 11th. So they've been very informative and collaborative amongst staff and families. So, of course, that would be a great opportunity to talk more about the facts and try to dispel a lot of the uh, misinformation that has been sensationalized throughout the social media or just for lack of fear of being informed. In addition, of course, one-to-one education and getting a little bit more personal with staff who may not Um, want to be as vocal during staff huddles. We Mm -hmm. customize facility vaccination pamphlets, which we distributed during our weekly point prevalence surveys for our COVID testing. All of our staff, they have to be tested on a weekly basis. So that was just a great opportunity to be able to engage with all staff on a consistent basis. And that's ongoing. We provided personal letters on behalf of the managing partner slash owner and uh, myself, the administrator, to families and staff via email or snail mail, just providing updates as we were leading up to the distribution. 
to mm-hmm. get the staff and families excited about the vaccine process. And just, you know, again, dispelling uh, some of the, the misconceptions that has been put out there. We have provided fact sheets and initiated a video campaign with electronic communication. We provided vaccination education stations strategically throughout the facility. One in particular is at our main lobby. So as soon as staff comes in for their daily surveillance prior to starting their workday, there's a TV screen where we are able to loop vaccine messages. Uh, One from the commissioner's office of the Department of Public Health, they initiated a campaign where they went to another facility in Connecticut and staff there would talk initially about their hesitancies, but also about the reasons why they ended up taking the vaccine. So that was very informative and it allowed that peer-to-peer understanding of why the vaccine was important and just building that sense of confidence. In addition to that, uh, just other um, social media efforts that we were able to find on YouTube that we continuously looped as staff uh, come in for today. In addition to the vaccination station, we have pictures of staff during our first clinic that was posted. <laughs> um, and one of the staff persons in particular has had a history of underlying medical conditions and uh, it's common knowledge uh, throughout mm-hmm. the facility. She's very um, open with sharing her experiences. So for her to be the first staff person vaccinated, that really just opened some eyes to, hey, this person can do it. Uh, let me consider it as well. Again, there's uh, educational pamphlets. We created a herd, a facility-specific herd immunity proxy uh, spreadsheet. Okay. So, and that's been pretty cool to track on a weekly basis what our actual facility herd immunity threshold or benchmark is. So, of course, it's going to change on an ongoing basis as we have yeah. new patients coming in. We may have residents who transition, whether back to the hospital or another route. And also, we know in healthcare, unfortunately, we hate that there's turnover, but there's likelihood of turnover. So there's any staff who may have came and left, we'll be able to track that as well. In addition, in November, Vernon Manor had our first COVID outbreak, and it was a pretty significant outbreak. A total of 55 residents were affected and 34 staff were affected. So, according to the the CDC guidelines and also the State of Connecticut Department of Public Health, we do not retest those individuals for a period of 90 days. It is assumed throughout that period that they may have antibodies. So, we included those individuals in our herd immunity proxy as well. So, just to summarize, included in the proxy is residents and staff who were COVID positive with the assumption of having antibodies and staff and residents who were vaccinated and then any turnover that may happen on a week-to-week basis. Mm -hmm. So we started out with a 64% herd immunity proxy the beginning of January, January 4th actually. And as of last week, Monday, our current herd immunity proxy is 74%. Some of those efforts, yep, 
I was I was about to just like ask to dig into those numbers a little bit if there was a sense of how many of those are, are vaccines, but I didn't need to cut you off there. Sorry. I can actually tell you I have my spreadsheet in front of me. <laughs> so <laughs> staff not vaccinated and presumed to have antibodies were 25. Patients were zero at that point. Vaccinated due to personal choice and or never having COVID-19, there were 75 uh, residents at that point and 23 staff. Not vaccinated due to having COVID positive. Currently, there were zero uh, residents at that time or staff. And not vaccinated due to personal choice, there were three at that time and 32 staff. So with the 32 that definitely was an opportunity to meet with those individuals, whether in a small huddle or a one-to-one to learn more of the reasons why and why they were not vaccinated. And largely, again, some religious, some based on historical reasons, uh, African-American or uh, people of color shared their reasons. But also mm-hmm. that we have a, our age range is, is very but we have a lot of young women who are, they, they have plans of getting pregnant mm-hmm. and it's not really having a lot of information on the effects of your fertility and how it relates to the vaccine has been probably the biggest uh, topic of conversation. So we always encourage the staff to communicate with their primary providers in the community mm-hmm. But also, too, there are others who are still in the childbearing age and who may also want to have more children. So we, we, we encourage staff to talk to each other mm-hmm. and just That's- to learn why those decisions were made yeah. or not made. Well, and it's interesting because I've I've talked with operators kind of across the country, like it's a range of geographies. And that concern has come up just with incredible consistency. And I, you know, did that surprise you when that concern first surfaced or did it, you know, or or were you kind of expecting that there would be concerns around that? Actually, no, it didn't. I'm still in childbearing age. I, I do not have any children personally, but that wasn't the first thought that came to mind. I never had a doubt in my mind that I did not want to be vaccinated. Largely, too, the vaccinations were being distributed right after coming out of our first outbreak at the facility, and I saw the impact. We did lose nine of our residents, but in speaking at different forums, I'm being told that we were very fortunate that we didn't have more loss of life. Uh, compared to others uh, in the state and uh, nationally, especially if they were impacted earlier on in the pandemic and there wasn't really a lot of information about how the virus spread. Testing wasn't necessarily as available as it was towards the summer, cohorting practices and so forth and so on. So, you know, of course, no one wants to have an outbreak in their facility, but we definitely were prepared and the team did a phenomenal job with with the care that they provided to the residents. We actually kept all of our residents in-house. We didn't transfer to a COVID-designated facility or to another facility with a COVID unit. We treated Mm -hmm. in place largely because our outbreak began on our memory care unit. We consulted immediately with the Department of Public Health and we went over the layout of the facility uh, via the blueprint. And just knowing what the dynamics of that population was, just needed constant redirection with keeping their mask on, 
social distancing. So the thought was at that point, there were only five residents who were COVID detected, but we knew that the spread was going to affect the entire unit and it did. So the decision was to treat those residents in place. So they were all placed on full transmission-based uh, precautions and they weren't moved. And we had a, so we ended up having two COVID um, dedicated units, one on a memory care unit and one on a unit directly above. But we were mm-hmm. able to minimize the spread elsewhere in the facility. So, you know, again, speaking about vaccines, there's still a good handful of staff who are not vaccinated. Our 90 days are approaching next week where mm-hmm. I believe 24 staff uh, was mentioned to me today that will be at that 90 days time period and they are presumed to not to no longer have antibodies. So mm-hmm. that is all the more reason why they should consider vaccination. Many of those nurses and CNAs, they work on our new admission cohort. So the new admissions, they are not being vaccinated in the, the hospital setting. So the point of exposure here in the facility can put the staff at risk where, you know, the spread can happen amongst each other, to other residents. Granted, they are wearing full PPE with N95 masks, face shields, gowns, and so forth, but there's still that, that potential risk. So we're really talking a lot about those particular scenarios. And, you know, at the end of the day, we go home and, you know, we don't want to expose any of our loved ones in the community neither. So... So that's where a lot of our focus is. Also, there's been a lot of restrictions that I know other facilities um, have been a little bit more liberal with. For example, we have not allowed any delivery or takeout food to the facility since the beginning of the pandemic. Granted, speaking with the infection control team, the potential exposure droplets on food being delivered is very minimal. But we just haven't bent that policy yet. So we were thinking um, potentially if we are able to achieve a greater vaccination count, we might scale back on that restriction. And I think that would definitely be an incentive for staff. Of course, not 100 percent because, you know, we still have your personal beliefs and we don't want to be too forceful. You know, everybody has their the right to make their own decision with this, especially since it's not mandatory. But, you know, we we, we do want to get back to a sense of normalcy, and that's one foot in the right direction. Um, As you were talking with staff, yeah. like did it did it surprise you? I guess that there that there was a you know certain degree of hesitancy. I guess was it higher than you expected to find once the you know once it became obvious that vaccination was going to be a prospect. I did feel that the compliance would have been higher than what it is. However, there is staff who wanted to see other staff take the second shot because there was discussion that the effects from the booster shot was more significant than the first. And I do have to say several of us, including myself, the booster shot did provide some effects, Mm -hmm. but they were short-lived. They were 12 hours, maybe 24 hours, and then back to normal. So I think with that, that just builds a little bit more confidence. We do have several staff members who who will be participating in our third clinic on February 15th. My understanding as of yesterday, per the infection control nurse, is that CVS will 
provide us with a fourth clinic if we have at least 25 new individuals agreeable to be vaccinated. So Mm -hmm. that's another opportunity where we're trying to encourage staff. So again, with the the incentives that we may be able to do to liberalize some of our practices, Mm -hmm. um, we said, given doing trivia over the overhead um, system, we had a hotline. Well, we still have a hotline for staff to call in and they can engage specifically with our infection control nurse and our staff development coordinator just to ask a little bit more of those more intimate questions that they may not want to share in a larger group. We had huddles with our medical director, um, question and answer huddles, and those are pretty much ongoing. The medical directors here have a really close relationship with the staff. They're here all of the time. So just hearing from them as well, I think, has really given some confidence to the staff. So I, I'm I'm expecting the, the third clinic to have more staff participation mm-hmm. so that we can have the yeah. fourth clinic. It's interesting that you mentioned just that that kind of the one-on-one and the focus. And one thing that stood out also was you're you're referring to that to the nurse who has or to the staff member, I should say, who has had the you know the other the underlying health conditions and what it meant to others to see her you know take the shot. It's something that people have talked about in the description of their own process. It's like a matter of finding you know who people need to hear it from, and it's not always like the obvious person like sometimes you have to find out like okay which which certified nursing assistant is the one that you know really is a leader among her peers and and has a voice you know that people would listen to and it's just interesting to to see that play out across the country you know again it's a true across many different geographies absolutely as the administrator i can speak to the staff all day but you know they still hold you in a different light versus their peers so definitely having someone that they have different type of conversations with, I think is valuable. Another opportunity that we've had is we were able to register the facility through the VAMS program, the Vaccination Administration Management Systems Program. I knew nothing about it prior to December 23rd. (laughs) We have a, the facility has a really close relationship with our local municipality, in particular the lieutenant at the police department uh, mm-hmm. has been very uh, supportive and resourceful for the facility. And he just inquired with me one day about our first um, clinic. And I told him, well, it's scheduled for January 25th. That was the initial date that we were given, although our clinic was January 4th. But we did not know that at that time. So he suggested getting the facility registered through the VAMS program. So we had to do our homework and learn what it was about and contact the Department of Public Health to see if facilities can even participate because we were only aware of the pharmacy partnership through uh, CVS. And we did that. So myself and several other um, staff were able to be vaccinated through that program. Although you cannot be vaccinated through the advanced program at the facility, you have to register, create your own personal link and then be vaccinated at a local health clinic of your choosing based on the particular mileage that is close to convenient for you. So the local hospital, we just went there on whatever date that was available, and we were able to be vaccinated ahead of our first clinic. So that was very valuable, and we still offer that. It's never-ending. 
Yeah, I don't know if I've heard of this program. Is that is that a state specific program or is it a federal one? It's uh, nationwide. Okay. So police departments, first responders, uh, so forth, they're able to be vaccinated through the advanced program. Now, actually, I believe individuals who are eligible through the 1B a distribution can be registered through the VAMS also. So it's very helpful for us because obviously we have staff who were not open to be vaccinated on our provided dates. Mm-hmm. However, if they change their minds, they can book an appointment and go in on the next available date that's convenient for them. So we're going to utilize um, that system throughout until we have vaccines available within the facility. So it's very helpful for those who may have some hesitancies, but uh, change their minds um, after the clinic dates are available. Yeah, and that would be something I could see happening just based on people getting the chance to see you know, how their colleagues do once they get the vaccine and realize like, okay, it's, it's all right. Like they, you know, are, are doing fine. Everyone is healthy. So that could be, uh, that's really interesting. I, I didn't, I didn't know that program existed, but that's definitely something that would be very handy if you have that later phenomenon of people realizing, you know what, no, I'm okay with taking it. Right. One thing that, one thing I was curious about, we've talked a lot about just sort of the, the focus on you know, staff and how you get the, the staff vaccinated, I guess, in terms of just the vaccinations for the residents, like, what was that process like? And were there any, you know, was there anything unexpected about that process? Or, you know, anything that, you know, stood out as being particularly different in terms of the reach outs for residents and their families? The reach out and engagement for the families was very easy. One reason is we Again, we maintained our weekly town hall calls with the families, and they were asking us way back in September, when can we find the consent forms? And obviously, we haven't had them available until the end of December, but the compliance on that end was phenomenal. There were only three residents who were not vaccinated at our first clinic. The families, uh, they they were all for it, especially coming off the hills of our outbreak, that even more so was a factor for the families to be agreeable for the vaccine. And the residents themselves who uh, are self-responsible and able to make those decisions, there was no hesitancy at large. The dilemma is for our new residents coming in from the hospitals, what the plan is going to be moving forward because, you know, we don't have the vaccines uh, readily available through our own pharmacy to provide the shot. So, at this point, I know the state of Connecticut hasn't uh, identified any plans yet, but we've, we've been thinking about that. As new emissions come in, the herd immunity proxy is going to be reduced. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do we keep our new emissions safe uh, from, from exposure? So that's definitely a challenge and opportunity that we, as a, as a state, need to figure out together. Do you think there's any chance of, of your own pharmacy being able to administer the vaccines eventually? Like, have you heard anything, whether from the state or from public health officials, on whether or not that might be a possibility? I haven't heard of anything officially. I have heard of conversations where down the road that may be an option if they're able to have the the breathing requirements um, uh, maintained at their end. It may be an option, but then with the transport into the facility or even having a vaccine that can be maintained at the facility. Understanding is that the Moderna may be an option over the free uh, the Pfizer vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, just the components 
are a little dissimilar. So the temperature threshold requirements may not be the same. So, but as far as anything concrete, I'm not aware at this point, but that would be um, a solution that, that our personal facility pharmacies can provide um, distribution. Well, and I know that there's, um, I know my editor had spoken with um, an operator where they mentioned, you know, that if, if it had been po- possible for their pharmacy to do something like that, then they would have done that. But under the federal partnership, it was CVS or Walgreens, take your pick. And it's been just interesting kind of thinking about just what happens once this partnership ends. Like you were saying, you have new admissions coming in, like those people may or may not have been vaccinated. How do you handle that? Right. So that's the the biggest question of the month of what to do. I do believe that our, our pharmacy did apply to be a partner for the vaccine distribution. We mm-hmm. just went with CVS because uh, CVS is everywhere. We, we know that they had experience in the past with uh, the distribution of vaccines. It just made the, e- the process easier. But if our facility contract, the vendor, is able to receive the vaccines in the future, we would definitely go that route and initiate the process with our residents. And I guess as you as you look ahead to the future, you've had the second clinic. How soon is the third clinic coming up for you? Yep, it's February 15th. Okay. And then do you think that, are, are you you working toward that possibility of the fourth clinic? Like, is that something that seems like it might happen? That's the goal. Um, we just have to have 25 new staff and residents agreeable for the vaccine. We will have more bang for the buck with staff as there's not as many residents to be vaccinated, depending on our new admission population. Uh-huh. One thing I was curious about for the staff um, was just... When it comes to the staff, are, are are those are you offering the the vaccination to staff that are maybe employed by third parties, but that do come into the facility anyway? I guess what has that been like, if that's been an issue at all, and how has that gone? Yes, any of our vendors or our partners are the physicians, APRN, any volunteer that we have, our hairdresser. Even though the hairdresser isn't able to provide services, but once we are able to open back up. She would be a regular person in the facility, so she was vaccinated with us. Uh, any of our uh, regular healthcare vendors okay. can participate in the vaccination process, and they're all vaccinated already, so yeah, they participate guess, in the first round. I guess, like as as you you know think about what might come after this, um, I know that there's a, a timeline, a bit of a time lag, I should say, excuse me, for the antibodies to really kick in after even the second vaccine dose. But what does this mean in terms of just, you know, the lives of residents? Like what effect, you know, will this have once the vaccine effort is, you know, fully completed, if you will? I am asked this question consistently, more so by the families. So obviously, they've had restrictions since the beginning of March in 2020, and having routine, regular, unsupervised visitation is what they are looking forward to. As far as us being able to do so, there hasn't been any concrete evidence of that shift, according to the Department of Public Health. Largely because overall, there hasn't been a significant uh, number of staff who have been vaccinated and here in Connecticut. Also, too, we have to look at our county and our, you know, our geographical location. So with the phase one, phase one B, I believe it's just 75 and older 
who are able to be vaccinated at this point. So we haven't even shifted beyond that. Mm-hmm. And speaking with the clinical team and someone through the VANS program, right now, due to the shortages of the distribution, the hospitals are only vaccinating individuals who already received their first dose, not their not anyone who hasn't had any vaccination at all. So they're only providing the second dose. And I believe at least through the next week, that's the predicament that we're in. So it's going to take some time for the community at large to be vaccinated, I think, for the state to feel comfortable. But again, the rules and uh, requirements, they change uh, pretty regularly. So I could be <laughs> sharing information differently in a, in a month or two for now. But at this, this point, the there's there's nothing that's definite. And I guess like really the last main question that I have for this is, you know, as you think back over the course of the process of, you know, getting everyone vaccinated and, you know, specifically as, as it, you know, affected, you know, your facility, what are your thoughts on the program as it ties into just the day-to-day operations of a facility? Like, was there anything that you would have liked to see the federal partnership do differently? Or was it for the most part, you know, what you would have expected? I think the process itself on the actual clinic is pretty seamless. We designated a space in the facility for staff to line up, basically, socially distant, wearing the mask, and it was similar to like an assembly line process. So that was pretty seamless, and we assigned nurses to accompany the the pharmacists who were administrating, administering the vaccine to the residents. So everything both processes was working in tandem with each other. It was pretty seamless. The caveat was that each day for our clinic, we had our all-staff and resident testing happening simultaneously. So it was busy days. They yeah. We test on Mondays, and our next clinic is on a Monday, on President's Day, actually. So we'll all be here uh, supporting the cause. But the team, they have, a, they have it down to a science. There's enough of the staff who are participating with different functions, such as doing the surveillance, making sure that the consent forms are completed, copy and insurance cards. But it, again, it was like some oil machine uh, assembly uh-huh. line. So I don't think there were any hiccups with any of that. Well, that's awesome, and I really hope that the I hope that the you know subsequent clinic goes well, and I and I hope that the that you know that that goal for the for that fourth one can be hit as well, because this is something that's a, a pretty crucial effort. And and to your point about the visitation um, and the staff uptake rates, I just had a conversation where the possibility of visitation regulations being tied to staff, you know, vaccine rates was was floated. Obviously, it's only a possibility, but it's something that you know, is in the back of people's minds, just like maybe the staff uptake might end up affecting, you know, visitation. So it's something that I think everyone, whether resident or staff is like really looking forward to. So I really hope that goes well. I do too. I appreciate it. I'm ready to get back to a sense of normalcy. I doubt that we'll get away from wearing masks and PPE anytime Uh in the the immediate future, but it's definitely a step in the right direction. Yeah, we're all looking forward to that. Well, Angela, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you for having me. I much appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Rethink. If you like what you heard, please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. 
And for more news and insights on the skilled nursing industry, subscribe to our daily or weekly newsletters at skillednursingnews.com. I'm Maggie Flynn, and this has been a production of Aging Media Network, Chicago, Illinois.